This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio with Graham Williams. We have got a really fascinating show today. Uh, some interesting uh, chats, uh, chats. Uh, one with uh, the uh, people at Tile. They make the little... Uh, little devices, Bluetooth devices uh, that you can attach to valuable things like your phone, your purse, your wallet. I, I love these. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, have it tracked down through your smartphone. I've got one on my keys and I've got the app on my phone and whenever I lose one or the other, I use them to find each other. Well, they're opening a Canadian office in Vancouver. Neat. So we're going to be talking uh, with the folks there. And ransomware, becoming a bigger and bigger problem, not only for individuals, uh, but also large companies, which could end up costing them hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. I've said this before. If you see IT as a cost center in your business, you're doing it wrong. You are doing it wrong. So we're going to be talking with uh, the folks uh, uh, over at Beasley. Uh, they are a uh, specialty insurer that insures companies against things like that right uh, somewhere. Know, it's funny. I hear that and I'm like, it's a very nice company you have there. It would be a shame if anything were to happen to it. That's <laughs> exactly. kind of <laughs> No, but it's fascinating to, to hear about it. Plus, uh, in, the, in the next segment, uh, I'll be uh, chatting with John Beeler. We're just back from a trip to China. We went to the tech markets there in Shenzhen. Yeah. This is like a nerd's paradise. Like any tech thing you could think of from drones to smartphone cases to weird cables, like everything, LED lighting. It's all there in these thousands of little booths. I love it. For cheap. I love it. Yeah. So like buying, uh, you know, the the batteries for like $2 and drones for $20. I spent a lot of time in Lee's Electronics here in Vancouver, and this seems like just a massively blown up version of that. You would die. Excellent. You would die. This is why you didn't take me, because you knew. You would just die. I wouldn't have made it. Well, uh, we were over there to cover uh, Huawei. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting this week, uh, a lot of Huawei st- stories still happening. Uh, they're actually selling off one of their businesses where they uh, have uh, a division that does the uh, undersea cabling. Interesting. Yes. Now, did you know how old undersea cabling is? No. Uh, the first undersea cable was uh, laid in 1858. No. Absolutely, yeah. For telephone? For telephone. Yeah. And believe it or not, it actually played a pivotal role in both World War I and World War II uh, as the British were able to tap into undersea cables that were going to the U.S. And they were able to crack communications, specifically in World War II. Yeah. They didn't let the Germans know that this had happened because they were communicating with people who lived in the U.S. Yes. And uh, they were able to actually get the drop on the Germans a number of times because they had, they'd hacked into these cables. So That is hilarious. Yeah. So anyway, they've been around for a while, but Huawei is selling theirs off yeah they no matter what business they're in they they just kill it because they have the quality and the price uh but they're finding now with all the political crap going on uh no one wants to do business with them because they think it's a security risk so it's kind of funny because they're selling off that part of the business to another Chinese company. Not a surprise. Yeah. There. Yeah. You know, if I were Huawei, I would do a couple of things right now. I would actually really commit to open source software. Right. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things where it kind of gives you that level of transparency. Totally, that... but I mean they're using off the shelf stuff. I mean they're using the Google Android for their their smartphones. Yeah. I, I visited their cybersecurity lab. Yep. They adhere to so many international and industry standards as far as security is concerned, like more so than I think than a lot of Western companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just. There is no smoking gun there. Well, and it feels a little bit like they've been set up as the boogeyman here, rightly or wrongly. So the the question is... The Americans are afraid of them. Well, naturally, because they're kind of kicking their butts in a lot of different areas. Everywhere. The question there is, how do you go about, one, reclaiming your reputation, whether it has been besmirched rightly or wrongly, and two, how... like. 
how do you go about getting back into these markets? I know a lot of Canadians kind of look at it and they saw what happened with Nortel and they see what has become Huawei and went, well, that was our tech. You know, yeah. they're, they're a little upset. So, you know, is there a way then for this company to partner with either Canadian companies or the Canadian government to they ensure... Almost, they almost partnered with Nortel back in the day. Yeah. But the deal fell apart. It's interesting. And it seemed like they ended up with the tech anyway, which I think is why some people were upset. But, yeah. you know, I, I think there are opportunities here for Huawei around the world. It's just they're going to have to do... And it's it's sad that it is like this, but they're going to have to do more work to partner with companies in these countries that are looking at them saying, we don't trust you in order to help build that trust. Let's switch uh, gears. Uh, we're talking tech news here on Get Connected. Apple had their World Developer Conference and had some interesting announcements. It was This was kind of like the, yes, we've been listening, so here's everything that you've ever asked for tour, right? There yeah, is, you think? I, iOS 13, you know, it's, yeah. got, it's got dark mode, which people have been screaming about for years. Uh, Apple Watch OS 6 now has standalone apps in its own app store on the watch, so you don't even need to connect it to a phone iTunes is dead. On the Mac, not Windows. Not Windows. <laughs> Sorry, Windows? What, what, what is that? Well, I have Windows on my kitchen desk uh, computer, a Windows computer, and I still have to use iTunes. You can get shots for that. You know that, right? I, I wish I could shoot it. Like It's so bloated and takes forever. So for those of us who use the enlightened Apple platform that is known as Mac OS, uh, iTunes is gone. It was really funny. Did you see the way they introduced this? No. Because iTunes, it started off as basically music software, right? Yep. It was like rip, burn, listen was the thing. You put your CDs in, you could listen to them, you could rip them to the hard drive, you could sync them to your iPod, and that was that. And then came the iTunes store where you could buy music, and then came the iTunes store where you could buy music and TV and movies and then it came to the point where now there was the Apple Music subscription and also like it and was books just, and news and everything you know so a lot of users out there were just sitting there going this is way too much so they when they announced it they're like why don't we get iTunes to do more how about calendar in iTunes or mail in iTunes or Safari in iTunes the audience naturally laughing at all this and they went okay cool we get it we're gonna get Apple Music to do music we're breaking out podcasts so that it's its own app now. And there is also Apple TV where you can watch the stuff that you purchased there. Apple Books is already on the Mac anyway. So it's kind of, it's, it's spread all of this stuff out into their own specific apps in this one big monolithic app after 18 years. Except it's still in Windows. But no one cares. <laughs> I care. I care. I'm, well, I use both. Well, so you, here's the thing is, they've got to roll this out in, a, in an organized manner, I think. And so you, they test it on the platform that they know first, right? Make sure that they get it nice and stable, and then they can bring it to the Windows platform afterwards. And that's just kind of the nature of things. If you use a Microsoft platform as an Apple user, you're going to get stuff a little bit later. Right? It's just like getting Apple Music on Android. It's just going to come a little bit later. Uh, they also announced a new Mac Pro. Yes, they did. So this is a high-end Mac computer that graphics designers and desktop publishing professionals want to use. This has, I mean, it was so beautifully impressive. It looks get, like a cheese grater. It does. Going back to the old cheese grater design of 2008, 2009, yeah. right? Um, it, it has up to 1.5 terabytes of RAM. That's more hard drive than how I have much? in my iMac. I know, but how much is that going to cost? It's probably about $15,000 yeah. for that RAM. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people out there are like, well, that's way too... Apple's really... No, this is for the professional, right? And the people that are buying this, they look at that price, and it is a drop in the bucket of the money that I they know, make I know, but you know what? System. Now, because uh, I have a company that we do lots of graphics and, yes. and video, 
all the guys now, I know, I know they're like, I want one of those. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to cost me a fortune. Well, here's the thing. I would say that, you know, in that case, you need one of these things, whereas the rest of your terminals could be iMacs or iMac Pro. And the iMac Pro is actually like, it's a beefy computer. So the things that they put into this, the, the processors are... You know, they're Intel heavy-duty processors. They put uh, the latest eight, uh, AMD Radeon Vega 2, and you can get two of them in there, graphics cards. They've got this new FPGA, so this new processor called an Afterburner that is industry-specific for the types of stuff that you want to do. This is a beast of a machine. And, you know, I would say that, like, universities, high-end graphics professionals, they won't even give a second thought to the price. The thing that price, got me... Price, price, price. Uh, $6,000 US to start just for the tower. Yeah, I've, I've, now, I've seen that before. Um, and, and I mean, I spec'd when I think that was about $12,000 US, and I think that was upper mid-range. Um, they have the new monitor, which is a 32-inch HDR, this amazing reference-quality screen. 5000 bucks. Yeah. Now, to give you some perspective, the equivalent Sony uh, reference-quality screen is $45,000. This so, is 10% of the price. Okay, so people are like going nuts, like $5,000, Yes, and the stand is yes. like $1,000. Yes, yep. That's a lot of money for a stand. Um, you know, I paid $700 for my TV mount for the wall, so I think $200 more for a you know 32-inch uh, mount for my desktop, which also rotates. I'm like, uh, no, that's that's actually not unreasonable. Okay, so five thousand yep. compared to forty five thousands for similar. Yes, it's not so bad. Yeah, no, and when they actually spec'd out spec for spec versus, I think it was either like a Dell or some other system. Yeah, um, the six thousand dollar Mac Pro uh, came out to nine thousand dollars for one of these other systems. Now you're going to have tons of people out there that says, "Well, I can build that for two. No, you can't build this system for two thousand dollars. No, right? You can try, and you can find a mild approximation, which I'm sure will, will run Crisis at two thousand frames per second, and good for you. But this is a professional's machine at a professional's price. Do I want one? Absolutely. Am I going to buy one? No, I've got a mortgage already. Exactly. We have a lot more to talk about here on Get Connected today. We're going to be talking ransomware, what you need to know, especially in a business, like how to deal with that. It's becoming a huge problem. Hackers are basically getting into businesses' computers and locking it all down so they can't be used. And the only way you can unlock it is if you pay them a ransom. We'll also be talking with the folks over at Tile. And when we come back from the break, John and I will talk about some of the crazy tech and the cheap tech that we found over in China. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got my uh, good friend and uh, fellow Get Connected travel partner, John Beeler, with me. Recently in China, we visited Huawei's manufacturing facilities and campuses. In our spare time, though, there was one mission for us. We were in Shenzhen, China, and this is like the electronics capital of the world. They've got these crazy electronics markets that you can get pretty well every kind of technology. We visited one of the largest ones. Uh, I think it's Huajin Bay if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, your impressions, describe this for the listeners. It's really hard to put, I mean, and this this goes for China in general, but you know, for the electronics marketplaces, I knew they were big, but it's hard to comprehend how big this place was. Uh, we went to the district where all the markets were, and we spent most of our time in one building, and the building itself is just massive. And then you have to think that this isn't the only building that does this. And 
the building we went into is the most popular one because it has the most variety of products. Six uh, floors. Six floors. Every floor has sort of a different theme. Uh, so you you want to you want a completely built computer? You go to the ground, the basement floor. You want LEDs? You go to the sixth floor. You want parts to build a computer? There's sort of scattered a bunch of different places. Camera floor. You know anything to do with cameras or you know. Uh, lighting or anything to do with photography basically is all in one floor um games toys cables weird things we've never even seen all kinds of stuff it was just hundred and on each floor hundreds and hundreds of little booths yeah the, these little stalls uh you know it's hard you know normally in, in a mall you have like a, a proper storefront these guys literally have a table and a bowl of noodles and that's <laughs> that's their stuff yeah exactly and and so you just you have to walk around and the, the thing is it's not even laid out sensibly <laughs> it's yeah. just kind of chaos and i actually got turned around a few times and i'm like i've already been here i don't know how i got back here thank god we had wechat because <laughs> we were getting lost uh, all, all the time uh what were some of your favorite things you picked up um so there was there was one store that we went into that was a little bit more like a traditional storefront uh, and they had a lot of like mobile accessories and they had that some, seemed to be of higher quality <laughs> yeah well yeah. and they were they were properly packaged they yeah. had like a name brand you know, and they don't right. look. They don't look like they're going to catch fire. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And there definitely is some stuff like that that you know isn't certified in any country, <laughs> or or never will be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one place is called Remax, not like the real uh, real estate company, but um, basically they had all these mobile phone accessories, and one that caught my eye that I ended up buying that I didn't see anywhere else in our travels, which I was surprised because I've seen a lot of the same things yeah. other places, was this fantastic little uh, power bank for your phone or anything, actually, a USB power bank in the shape of a cassette tape, complete with the plastic cassette housing. It looked identical yeah. and so cool. It's so cool. And it even comes with a cable inside the cassette case. Which I've lost for you already. Yes, you have. When I took it to Global TV. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so funny enough, they had some other power banks that were thinking, really cool, but I'm not taking that in my suitcase. You're thinking about the hand grenade. Yeah, like who's gonna who's gonna take that home? Like, what kind of trouble are you gonna get going through security? N- not even that, just using it at home somewhere. Oh my god, yeah. Walking through the mall with charging your phone. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's crazy. Yeah, uh, you bought a drone too. I did yeah. uh, a fun little uh, HD pocket drone. It's tiny. It fits in the palm of your hand. Uh, it comes with a controller uh, and actually a little uh, connector that you can actually dock your uh, your your phone to it, um, and you can use your phone to actually see and uh, configure the camera that's on it, so you can actually record HD video. Uh, I've been playing with it. Unfortunately, there's no instructions for it, and the app is very. Let's just say not intuitive. No, I remember I took it onto Global. Yeah. On uh, I think the the morning news, uh, and yeah, I used the app. I could not. I figured it out. Eventually. But yeah, uh, but yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, it's not intuitive, but it, it's still fun. I actually made the mistake of flying it in the office, and it fell in behind one of the desks, and I had to make a fishing rod to fish it out because <laughs> it's so small. And Too I bad you couldn't buy one of those. You could have. I could have. So you know what I found fascinating though too. I'd heard that you could get your stuff repaired cheaply there. You know, and this, you told me about this and I'm like, really, you're going to bring all this stuff to China? Yes, and I did. So on our on our day trip uh, to this market, I found uh, the Genius Bar. No, the Genius Har. Okay, yeah, they spelled bar wrong. It's the Genius Har. Uh, so, they made a sign with it spelled wrong. I <laughs> know. Uh, but I had, uh, I brought a broken iPad, a broken Apple Watch, and a broken iPhone Ten Max. Uh, my friend's iPhone 10 Max, you know, the latest flagship iPhone, uh, he cracked the screens on both sides. And to get Apple to repair it, over $1,000. Wow. 
which is you might as well just buy a new phone. A thousand dollars. Yeah. And there's no, there were no places here in Canada that would repair it. I took it there, and you know what he quoted me? Eight hundred dollars. Chinese dollars. Chinese dollars. Anyway, I, I haggled him down. I felt bad haggling, <laughs> haggling him down. But uh, I got him down to 700 Chinese dollars, which was about $160. Yeah. So that was huge. My iPad, there was no place in town here in Canada that would repair it because there was something wrong with the board inside. Yeah, the motherboard. Yeah. Apple, you know, graciously said, yeah, we'll replace it for 400 Which you might as well buy. A, a you might as well one. buy a new one. Yeah. And the guy repaired it for 50 bucks. My daughter's Apple Watch, uh, which there's something wrong with the battery. Again, uh, Apple, uh, they charge around three hundred dollars uh, or so. Uh, no other place would fix it. And didn't Apple say that they wouldn't fix it because it was too old or something? They wouldn't fix it. They just replace it. Yeah, but yeah. they'd give you a discount, so that's right. nice. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I took it on the off chance that they could fix it. Of course, they could for forty dollars. What blew me away about that was the fact that you got this all done in like an hour. <laughs> I know, and it seems to be good. Yeah, it, it's amazing that they were able to do that so quickly and so affordably. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about ransomware. These hackers are now holding companies, computers, and data hostage for hundreds of thousands of dollars. We'll find out about that and uh, so much more. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. want to talk uh, about a serious uh, topic now, ransomware. You've probably heard the term before. Uh, it's basically when hackers uh, infiltrate uh, your computer or an organization or city-wide uh, computers and uh, basically lock them down and hold them ransom so that people have to pay a certain amount of money before they can get back to their information. Uh, a good example, the city of Cincinnati recently hit with ransomware. The hackers demanded $70,000. The FBI told them not to pay it uh, because you just can't be sure that uh, – uh, that they will release uh, the the computers, and so far uh, they're estimating it's going to cost anywhere between ten to eighteen million dollars to deal with this crisis. Well, I've uh, I've got a pretty cool guest online to help us understand uh, ransomware. Uh, it's uh, obviously a big problem uh, for companies uh, out there. Uh, she is with uh, a company called Beasley. They're a, a cyber insurer. I uh, don't know if I got that right or not, uh, but we're speaking with Catherine Keefe. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, just a, a quick background on, on Beasley. Uh, you guys uh, are a, a specialty insurer. Yes, we are. We uh, uh, insure many various types of insurance uh, lines. Uh, I am part of the cyber insurance group. I lead the breach response services team. We have a large cyber program that operates uh, internationally, and uh, our role within the company is to ensure the losses associated with data breaches and uh, the costs associated with investigating those breaches. Um, and system compromises such as ransomware, and then help our policyholders respond with uh, responses to their stakeholders, their customers, their patients, employees, what have you, based on the relevant laws that require uh, data breach response to affected individuals. It's interesting because I didn't know you could get insurance for this, but uh, obviously it's it's a huge problem. How big is ransomware as far as a problem for, for organizations? Oh, it's a huge problem, Mike, um, right right now, and, and it really increased over the past couple of years. Um, 
here at Beasley, when we managed, oh my gosh, about 3,800 data breaches over the course of 2018. But during, so we have metrics around all of those breaches and what causes them, and ransomware has skyrocketed. Uh, so we've seen about a 100% increase in the number of ransomware attacks between 2018 and so far in 2019. And I think it's because the criminals um, get paid. <laughs> they come in, they lock up systems, and if an organization doesn't have uh, an efficient way of restoring that data from backups or an efficient way of getting back online, then sometimes they are forced with the uh, decision to pay that ransom amount. Those ransom amounts are growing um, in size, um, between 2018 and 2019, we saw a 93% increase in the average ransom demand. Um, it went from the average in 2018 was about $116,000, um, and it went up over $100,000 to $224,000 in 2019. And this is across a span of um, industries and company sizes from very small companies to very largest uh, corporations. I find this fascinating. So uh, these ransoms are into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Are companies paying them? Yeah, they are. Uh, they're forced to because if the data that the criminal encrypts locks up through the malware that underpins the, the, the ransom demand um, and that data is essential to run the, the company's business, Take a hospital, for example, who operates almost exclusively using electronic medical records. If a criminal targets that particular hospital's medical record system, then you can imagine how patient care could be impacted if patients can't schedule appointments, if chemotherapies can't be administered, if surgeries can't be scheduled. Uh, it can grind uh, hospitals to a halt. Wow. Uh, and if... It if they don't pay it, uh, I mean, you could be dealing with, uh, you know, I use the city of uh, Cincinnati uh, as an example. Um, the cleanup could be in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, depending on the size of the organization. That's right. When a situation um, happens and a ransom demand is, you know, pops up on, you know, a worker screen, uh, let's say in a municipality, uh, and some of the decision making around that is, do we have the resources internally to deal with this? Do we have sophisticated enough internal IT people to evaluate the situation, to understand the impact and the type of data that's been compromised and locked up? Do we have the means to decrypt it ourselves, which is the answer to that is usually always no, but do we have this data elsewhere in the system? Have we backed up this information in a way that's segregated from the system that is encrypted. Sometimes we have seen, unfortunately, organizations who feel that they have done a very good job backing up data only to find that they haven't segmented their systems enough so that when the ransom, when the ransomware hits, it not only encrypts the, you know, the, the working data, if you will, but also the data that was backed up. So it's, it's, it's having the sophistication to understand the impact and then also does a company have the internal resources or wherewithal to forensically um, restore that data? Uh, and organizations will often need some external assistance to do that. And uh, there are various insurance programs that provide that assistance or help as we do with the decision around 
uh, whether you know you're you're you know in a situation to pay that ransom and how would you do that? Um, a couple of years ago, when ransomware started really hitting the horizon, organizations uh, were were asked to pay ransom in the form of Bitcoin, and this still is mainly the case. How how does a you know an average company know how to obtain Bitcoin? Do they maintain their own Bitcoin wallet? Do they know how to access the Bitcoin ATM? And they're now unbelievably our services that we we provide through our, our insurance cover that assists organizations with securing that Bitcoin should they decide that they must pay the ransom. I think you're freaking out a lot of businesses right now. This is uh, this is crazy uh, how much of uh, an issue uh, this is. But also, um, you know, you're talking about you know companies. Do they have the resources to uh, to figure this out if it happens to them? I would guess that most do not. I think most most companies do not. And I think you know. And I'm sorry if I'm freaking people out. Um, there are you know hope is not lost. There are steps organizations can take to minimize the chance that they could become a victim of ransomware, um, tra- because the you know, victims, you know, companies that are victims, often become so because they're infected with some kind of you know malware trojan that is launched against them in this kind of untargeted spam campaign that shoots messages across to a wide variety of companies sort of in a spray and pray method and the spam message will will ask the recipient of the email the spam email to click on a link change a password and there's training that organizations can use for their employees to try to better recognize when an email isn't is a spam and not to click on those links or, or follow those instructions for changing passwords. So, you know, companies that put some time and effort into some risk management steps um, can go a long way toward reducing the chances of getting hit by ransomware. We're talking with Catherine Keefe of Beasley. They're a specialty insurer that uh, actually insures companies for uh, cyber intrusions like uh, ransomware. Uh, they put out a quarterly uh, report called Breach Insights, and uh, you can uh, get access to that. Uh, where can people find out more information about Beasley, Catherine? Uh, com on our cyber pages. There's a lot of good information about what we talked about today. Fantastic. And uh, you can help them from freaking out. <laughs> we, we try our best to do that. <laughs> when we come back from the break, we still have a lot more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Uh, AJ interviews uh, one of the folks over at Tile, the little, uh, little uh, devices that uh, help you find uh, your phone and uh, other valuable goods. They're actually coming to Vancouver uh, to open up a new office here in Canada. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. We're sitting down with CJ Prover, the CEO of Tile, and going to be sharing some exciting news, especially for those folks listening to us uh, today in the Vancouver market. Uh, but before we get to that, Tile, if you're familiar, um, one of, uh, of the most important companies to me <laughs> because you've uh, really straightened out my life. And it's interesting, I was listening to a, um, uh, a podcast the other day and Elon Musk was talking about artificial intelligence and how the mobile phone is like an extension of our intelligence, you know, a little bit slow to get to it to figure it out. But I think your technology is really an extension of our intelligence because it's made me a lot smarter as well. But uh, CJ, welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. So before you tell us the, the news that we have to talk about today, can you just give us a little bit of background about Tile? Yeah, well, you touched on it. I mean, we are solving a major pain point in people's lives. It's so everyday and pervasive and ubiquitous that people don't even really think about it. Um, and we have all sorts of stats that support it in terms of, you know, the value of lost luggage or things left in hotel rooms. But the craziest one that, that kind of shocks people is that on average, people spend 365 waking days of their life looking for lost items. Wow. So if you sleep eight hours a day, that's a year and a third of your life. Wow. And um, yeah, so Tile launched uh, five years ago to address a very narrow slice of that. It's like you put your tile on things that you want to keep track of mm -hmm. and you can use your tile to find your phone or your phone to find your tile. Mm -hmm. And since then, we've sold 25 million units and uh, we've established a community that powers our finding platform. Mm -hmm. So where's the value? That's what I think is fun, like a yeah. truly amazing about your platform. It, it, it's awesome. And, you know, the value prop initially was just this when you're in local range of your phone, you can find your things. And now it's if you leave something on a plane at a Starbucks on a train, that's findable by by the community. And can you explain kind of just at a high level how that works? Sure. So the community's powered uh, primarily today by um and our finding, finding platform is powered by our community, primarily today by virtue of the fact that people who have the Tile app on their phone are helping their fellow Tile members by passively and anonymously scanning for Tiles. And so that's why if you leave something somewhere and you leave that area, a member of the Tile community uh, will help you locate it when you mark it as lost in your app. They don't know they're doing that. Mm -hmm. They're, they're um, kind of, they're powering the, the finding platform. It's only you that... Um, knows of the the location of where your, your item is yes but it's super powerful yes. and it's really had uh, a network effect in terms of growing our business because the more people that use tile the the better the experience yeah when you talk about 25 million of these things um that creates a pretty big network it does indeed um and in addition to the finding platform that's powered by our community we're deploying physical access points to make it even denser oh um this year we're focused on the home. Mm -hmm. So we've announced in the US, the biggest cable company is, is a company called Comcast. Uh, we announced a big partnership with them last year. They became an investor. Most of the set-top boxes, routers that are in um, the homes in the US have the ability to scan for, for Bluetooth. And so those devices are being enabled to locate tiles. And that just leads to a much better finding experience in the home, which is where people often misplace things. Excellent. So um, what uh, you're here today, you're talking to us out of our Vancouver studio. Um, what's what's going on? Yeah. So, um, well, a little context. I'm originally from Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in the Silicon Valley for 20 years. And over that 20 year period, I've built big teams in Canada. I just have a obviously massive affinity for uh, for home. And um, I've had teams in Vancouver, Montreal and Toronto. And so the first thing I said, one of the first things I said to the team when I joined tile in September was one open a Canadian office mm. because the talent up here is great. Um, we're going to continue growing our Silicon Valley office, but this gives us access to a broader pool of capital and allows us to grow more quickly. So we're opening an office here. Um, we're immediately out of the gate looking to hire 20 people, um, all engineering, uh, but really sky's the limit for the location. It's our first kind of strategic um, office uh, outside of the Silicon Valley. This is amazing. This is great for, for, for our city as well. 
Uh, so um, and so you did, as you say, you don't have the location set yet, or what? How? What are you sort of sneaking to us today in yeah. terms of uh, news? Well, we've hired uh, the leader, okay. really talented uh, individual who's has a mix of both kind of growth stage company and bigger company experience. He's scaled and grown uh, big teams uh, in all parts of the world, including here in Vancouver. Uh, he's already hired um, a few folks on his team, yeah. and we're in a temporary space looking for a permanent uh, location now. So um, if, uh, if our listeners uh, who are maybe excited or, or even thinking about some people in their family that might be excited about this news, where, where can they uh, find out a little bit of information? Where's the best place for people to... Uh... The best place to go is tile.com, yep. where we have all of our job listings posted, and they can reach us through there. And we're, uh, like I said, we're fully open for business. And, um, you know, our focus for hiring um, right now is... Th- the unique thing about the tile office here compared to like a big company is uh, the team's going to get to work on end-to-end solutions. Um, so we have the finding platform that we've talked about. We get a billion location updates a day. We're looking for backend um, engineers to help scale out uh, that platform and then all of the services that that enables. We also, um, we haven't talked about a big focus of ours is embedding Tile in um, all things that have Bluetooth. Hmm. So we've launched products with Bose and Skullcandy. Right. We've launched many other partners and so part of the team's role here will be helping scale um, those partners we've okay. got a huge pipeline of, of tile enabled devices that are coming to market over the next I'm 12 excited months about this this is great yeah. it's a huge <laughs> it's a huge thing and in, in our consumers I'll never it. lose my keys again <laughs> or my wallet <laughs> or your headset or my headset <laughs> yeah or your laptop or you know sky's the limit awesome uh Thanks so much for joining us today and uh, giving this uh, scoop to, uh, to our, especially our Vancouver listeners. Oh, thanks for having me. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. Uh, we've got time for, I think, a very cool Siri shortcut for Apple iPhone users. And this one's kind of funny. Yeah, so this is, it's a shortcut called police, but you can put in your own trigger word. And the trigger word that I'm using is, hey, Siri, I've been pulled over. Now, this is kind of cool. When you've got your phone mounted in your car, it does a couple of things. One, it shuts off the brightness to your screen. Two, it starts recording video right away. And three, it sends your location in a text message to somebody that you say you wanted to send it to. Interesting. Records the whole interaction. Video and audio. Video and audio. And we'll also send a screenshot to them as well. So this is one of those things where, you know, I mean, I I trust our police uh, here in Canada. But I do, do travel down to the States a fair amount. And we have seen... It's a little scarier down there. We have seen a number of issues that have happened at that point. Yeah. And so what it comes down to is being able to have a record of what actually has happened when you get pulled over. Without pissing the police off, exactly. thinking that they're being recorded. Well, and, and this is one of those things where you do see some of these videos sometimes and somebody's holding their phone in their hand, which one could be conceived as a weapon. Yes. And two, you shouldn't be holding your phone while you're driving anyway. Yeah. Um, and it really is kind of, it's sort of an aggressive move of like, I'm recording you, I'm recording you. It's yeah. the same sort of thing of like, am I being detained? That doesn't always end well. It's not a good Even conversation. Even though you're allowed to. Yeah, it's not a good conversation to have. So uh, it's a police shortcut. Uh, we're actually going to post it on our Facebook page as well. Um, so you can download it. And it is for the uh, Apple Shortcuts app. That's all the time we have left. Don't forget to listen to the App Show Sundays at 10 to 11 here on CKNW 980. Mike and Graham, logging up for Get Connected. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, 
TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.